Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm your host, Steve Sofronis. What does it take to build a new school from the ground up in a high ELL demographic area? How does school leadership and mission-driven initiatives impact the culture of the school? How does a new school recruit, train, and retain highly qualified teachers to work with underserved populations? We discuss these questions and much more with Ruben Alonso, founder of Excelencia Charter Academy in East Los Angeles, California. Ruben talks with us about how his profound personal and professional experiences influenced him to leave Texas and start his own school in Los Angeles. During the conversation, we learn about leadership, planning, professional development, and innovative school models. Just as importantly, Ruben's unbridled passion and dedication to this work serve as an inspiration for anyone who works with underserved communities. Let's get started. Okay, welcome, Ruben. Uh, you have a great story to tell, so I want to start by talking with you about your trajectory toward the work that you're doing now. You've said that there are elements of your own family and educational life that led you to start Excelencia. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely, Stephen. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think um, in order to really understand uh, the work behind Excelencia um, and the the idea behind the mission and vision, it's, it's important to really see... Um, and understand that the background that I'm coming from. Uh, so the the conditions that I was raised in, I was uh, I was born into a migrant farm working family in rural Texas. Um, and you know, in this environment, um, one, you know, it was very clear early on that we uh, were within an environment that uh, unfortunately provided um, a very low bar of education um, and expectations. Um, and in addition to that, uh, you know, working in the fields under uh, an un relentless, uh, unforgiving sun for 12 hours a day, really um, make sure that you uh, have a deep appreciation for education because you don't always want to work with your hands, but instead want to use your mind. Um, and so when I when I was 12, um, I unfortunately, you know, lost my father to uh, to alcoholism at a young age. And uh, four years after that, my brother was incarcerated uh, to, to for six years in prison for drug trafficking. And so when I was uh, roughly a junior in high school, you know, I, I, I felt lost. I wasn't sure what comes next. I wasn't sure what to do. You know, not not many people had held my hand uh, through these through these uh, you know difficult times. But I had a I had a calculus teacher during my senior year of high school who pulled me aside and said, you know, I know you're interested in enlisting in the military, but you have to go to college, Ruben. You know, you're you're incredibly gifted and talented, and we need to make sure that we get you in those doors. Um, so she completely single handedly changed my life and my my trajectory and um, helped me apply to MIT. Um, and four months later, after we spent, you know, two weeks applying in her classroom because I didn't have Internet at home, um, I got in and it completely changed my life. And so the the mission and vision behind Excelencia is to ensure that students receive that same message that was imparted to me at the age of 18. Um, but they're receiving it at the age of four and five as they start their uh, journey uh, to college, which begins in kindergarten. What an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. I think that I take 
I take a lot out of that, but two main things, obviously uh, having the inspiration of a teacher to guide you along the way, crucial. And then the empathy that you must bring um, to, to the classroom and to, as a school leader um, has to be something incredible for the students, both the ones that you've served in the past and the ones that you'll serve in the future. And I want to kind of get to um, that, uh, your experience in the, in the past and, your experience, and, and what you're looking to do in the future. So you spent four years at Idea Public Schools in Texas. You were just two miles from the Mexican border. Uh, I think you were a teacher for two years and two as an administrator. And you worked with a lot of English language learners there, had a lot of success. Um, h- how did that experience influence your decision to come to California and, and lead your own school there? Yeah, you know, there's there's this quote that I read on Elevation site, Stephen, that says all teachers can be teachers of language. Um, and when I look back at my uh, first year in the classroom, uh, I was right out of grad school. Uh, I had just started my my core experience with Teach for America. Um, I set out to really prove what uh, many people thought was was impossible at the time. So I had 120 students, um, a, a a large majority of which were English learners. Um, and, you know, as as you mentioned, we were on the 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 Texas Mexican border. Um, yet we set out with with a single mission, saying that okay, all of our eighth graders are going to take Algebra One, and we are going to show the state and the city, you know, what is possible when we double down our efforts and and invest in them, uh, regardless of English acquisition. Um, so at the end of that first year. Uh, of the 120 students, um, 98% of them were able to pass their algebra state assessment um, or the STAR EOC um, compared to a 78% state average that same year. Um, and, you know, when when I think about your second question, right, what what was my decision that led to then launching the school in California? Unfortunately, in, in the area that uh, the school is going to be opening in, um, the, you know, Boyle Heights, East LA area, only 3% of English learners are proficient in English and 6% are proficient in math. Um, and those... Um, those those numbers are horrendous. And so, you know, I, I look back into the classroom and the success that we had as as a, as, as a team, as a, as a grade level, but as a school um, and recognizing that, you know, there's there's still a lot of uh, uh, areas of growth across the country and specifically areas uh, like the, the east side of, of Los Angeles, where, you know, the English learners are not progressing at rates at which they, they should and which they could. Um, because we're not giving them the supports necessary. So recognizing that we must do better is the reason why I decided to launch a school in the area. So that's great. So you're bringing your expertise and your proven success to a community that, that really needs it. Um, and speaking of shifting communities, you know, I, I've worked with um, all teachers and administrators around the country. I uh, don't have much experience working with Texas or California, but I do know that those are two states that have their own very complex systems for English language learners. So my next question is more of a, a leadership kind of policy type question. How, how are you dealing with with the challenge of navigating California's complex system having come from Texas? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, research preparation, um, but more importantly, placing a high premium on professional development for our teachers. Um, and so I'll give you an example of that. You know, my, my principal and I uh, meet weekly to plan uh, to begin our, our uh, you know, efforts for summer professional development, which begins four weeks before the school year even starts. So, you know, here we are weeks out, months out, making decisions about the trainings that we're going to provide to teachers around, for example, uh, LPAC training, which is going to be hosted in LA September 24th. These are decisions that we're making now to ensure that not only myself and my and, and our principal as administrators are, are savvy and well-rounded, 
but we're also imparting that uh, that that training and those opportunities to our greater staff because it cannot just be one or two people who are you know the sole possessors of uh, of, of knowledge to um, really support English learners, but it needs to be a team effort. Uh, so there's there's a lot of research and preparation that goes involved, and these are things that we are um, taking taking care of now. Uh, you know, May 30th before the school year starts and well before the school year starts to ensure that we have all of the places, all of the all of the items in place um, to support our, 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 uh, our students. Yeah, so crucial to plan early. And I imagine those four weeks of PD that those that those teachers get before the school year starts must be quite useful for them. Um, I'm, I'm interested in learning more about what it takes to build this kind of school kind of from the ground up. So, you, you know, not only did you move halfway across the country from Texas to to Los Angeles, but you also had to bring together a, a board of directors, ensure they'd serve um, as stewards for high quality instruction. So how have you gone about putting together that important leadership team that that also must believe in your mission? Yeah, great question. I mean, I, I think it first begins with uh, understanding the roles and responsibilities um, of these board of directors. So it started with a detailed description outlining the exact roles and responsibilities of every single member, um, because what you want to do in the beginning is be, um, uh, you know, undeniably clear about what this role is going to entail in addition to the the hours of, of commitment on a weekly and monthly basis. Um, and so once we once we drafted that and outlined the exact uh, responsibilities involved, um, we also understood that you know, to have an effective board, we need a broad range and diverse set of skill sets um, of, of professionals from different fields. And so once we began mapping out that greater puzzle, um, I met with literally dozens uh, of, of, of interested candidates. Um, and that was through, you know, cold outreach on LinkedIn, uh, by word of mouth, by different referrals. Like I was meeting with, you know, upwards of, you know, 100 plus people to ensure that we had the right people, uh, you know, quote unquote, on the bus. Um, and then from those 100 plus individuals, we ultimately selected the nine that we felt were the best fit that, you know, one complemented the diverse rate of skill sets that we needed, such as, you know, finance, facility, education, um, community, uh, investment in addition to, uh, you know, uh, marketing and media. Um, and then those nine individuals ultimately constituted our, our founding board. And once we had that founding board in place, um, you know, the hard work really began, which was mastering, uh, you know, from the first page to the last page of the charter collectively. So we can then defend it to uh, a Los Angeles Unified School District. Yeah, so you get that board in place, you get the people from from a, a variety of different, um, different walks of life, I imagine, with different skill sets. And then you got to think about hiring your staff, the people who are going to spend the most time with the students. So curious to know, um, as we kind of reach the end of May here, at the time that we're recording this episode, um, where are you in the hiring process? And maybe more importantly, how have you gone about recruiting highly qualified educators who are going to live your mission? Yeah, so uh, we are opening uh, year one with 11 staff and uh, with the exception of two Teach for America teachers, which we will hire next week, uh, we're we're fully staffed, which is a, a huge success um, given where we are in, in the school year, in our in our planning year. Um, in terms of, you know, how do we go about recruiting highly qualified people? You know, we, we have received, um, uh, you know, dozens of applicants who are interested in teaching at the school in large part due to our specialization model um, and, and the ability 
you to, you know, focus on what you're best at, whether that's mathematics, guided reading or phonetic development. Um, but in order to weed out and, 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 and secure the the final team that is going to constitute uh, the group of teachers, um, we we knew that it was very important early on to immerse our candidates in um, the experience that is Excellencia. So you know, beginning with uh, a very thorough vetting process that includes them um, submitting uh, very thoughtful responses to uh, a list of strategic essay questions, um, in addition to, you know, putting yourself in the day of the life of a teacher and creating a work plan aligned to what your schedule is going to look like. But I would say most importantly is allowing them to, to uh, you know, demonstrate their, their capabilities as teachers in the classroom um, and then providing them feedback to see how they respond. So putting them in the shoes of, uh, okay, you you need to understand that going into Excellencia, we place, again, that high premium on professional development. So we want to see how you respond um, to to the type of coaching that you're going to experience on, on, on a daily and for certainly weekly basis at Excellencia. And, how, you know, what's occurring to me, I've been a teacher for, for a long time and, you know, I interviewed for, for a couple positions. I worked at two schools, but I interviewed around a bit. And you know one of the one of the most for me um, telling or or important ways to interview is I'd go in and I'd, I'd actually teach a lesson plan to the students. But you, you don't have a school in place yet. But it sounds like you've really done your homework in terms of showing these uh, teachers or would be teachers what it looks like. But how do you go about doing that if you don't have kind of a school, a physical place, or students to show them yet? Yeah, great question. So it first begins by uh, sharing with them videos from some of the highest performing school and school networks across the country. Uh, so Purpose Prep, uh, Purpose Prep Academy out in um, Nashville, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, along with uh, Nashville Classical in the same city, uh, Brooke Charter School out in Boston, uh, you know, teachers from the Uncommon Network out on the East Coast, showing them videos of schools that I that I've toured um, and classrooms that I've been to where, you know, the it, it is there's no doubt that when you walk into the classroom, this is a high performing classroom uh, led by a high, high quality teacher and sharing those videos with teachers before the interview allows them to understand, like, what is it that this school is looking for? And can I be that person? And, you know, believe it or not, even after sharing those videos, I've even had uh, candidates who have dropped out of, of, of the pipeline or the interview process because they thought that it was something that, you know, they couldn't quite uh, meet uh, that that bar is, you know, too high. And that's that's exactly what I want. I want individuals to get through the process knowing that, okay, I can meet these expectations. I can work towards it. Even if I don't have those skills now, I know, you know, Excellencia as administrators, Ruben and Jasmine as the principal are going to help me get there. Yeah, I think that transparency is so key. So we talked about recruiting staff. Uh, we talked about going through that process, which seems pretty rigorous. What about retaining and developing them? I mean, professional development is something that's been, um, I think it's getting better, but on the whole, it's still, I think, notoriously um lacking uh, in 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 what it should be i think it's an area of weakness um what what are your plans to help teachers meet the high needs of of the demographic that you're serving particularly those english language learners yeah, so I think it begins with, again, our, our four-week professional development program, which was very intentional because, you know, Stephen, we could have we could have started a week out uh, before the school year. We could have started two weeks out before the school year, but we recognize that that's just not enough time. Like, if we want to ensure the success of all of our students, particularly our English learners, we need to make sure that we're investing that time up front so that way day one of school, you know, we're, n we're not beginning the learning process as adults, but we're starting that a month out before the school year begins. So, 
Aside from from that, um, you know, you and I had had uh, discussed earlier how, you know, just today, you know, my principal and I were meeting for four hours just continuing to plan for our four week professional development, because this is something that we're incredibly serious about, because um, we know that if done well and executed well, um, our, our teachers are going to to grow and develop from it. And therefore, ultimately, it's it's our students and their families who are going to benefit most. Um, the other thing I would also mention for for retention is, you know, there's there's a very real human element that that uh, is often sometimes missing from a coaching teaching relationship uh, or, or, you know, just being a teacher uh, in general at a school, you know, it's, it's, it's an often um, overwhelming position with not a lot of recognition. Um, and so what we're doing early on, my principal and I is, uh, you know, hosting get togethers with our staff. So we build this, this sense of community because, you know, when I look at, you know, any relationship, right, like you need to put deposits in that relationship bank. Um, so when times get tough, like you can constantly go back to that, 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 that positive memory deposit bank, um, and, and, you know, make withdrawals. And so what we're doing early on is making sure that teachers feel valued because they're at the front lines. These, are the individuals that are going to make the gains and going to make the differences in our students' lives. So it's only, it's only uh, you know, respectful and realistic that we make sure that they feel valued at our school community. I love that. Deposits in the relationship bank. So certainly something that, uh, that I've used as a teacher for my students as well, and it's just as important, I imagine, as a school leader. So um, I've read your mission. I've spent some time speaking with you before this, reading um, some of of the information about Excellencia. Um, You talk a lot about in the mission, rigorous curriculum, high quality instruction, positive character development. Um, I'm I'm especially interested in this rigorous curriculum and, and positive character development piece. As, as I think these has been, have been areas of weaknesses for some schools, particularly with English language learners. So how do you go about fusing those two pieces um, into the curriculum? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with uh, the, the rigorous uh, curriculum piece. So uh, I'm sure you can tell by now, right, we're, we're huge advocates of backwards planning and backwards mapping. And, and that doesn't just happen on a year to year basis. But we're looking at the full term of what we've been chartered for TK through eight. Uh, mind you, we're only opening with grades TK through one. But every single year through our slow growth model uh, over the course of eight years, we're going to be full scale at TK eight. Um, and in our charter, one of the first things that we highlight is the the, the end goal of our program, which is for students to score at least a 17 on the ACT by the end of the eighth grade. Now, why is a 17 on the ACT important? Because a 17 on the ACT will then correlate to a 21 on the ACT by their junior, senior year, which is what has already been identified as the college readiness benchmark. Um, So we will take a step back before we even begin the school year to ensure that the decisions we're making for our students in TK, K, and 1 align with grade levels and experiences that they're not even uh, going to, to, to enroll in yet. But we know that in eight years, we need to create a program in place that, that you know, now through, through, through strategic uh, planning around our classes and the way they operate are preparing them to begin hitting, you know, a 15 or a 14 by the sixth grade and ensuring that by the eighth grade, they're going to hit a, a, a 17. So every single decision we make is influenced by that factor. Simultaneously with, with the ACT being our end goal, um, every single year thereafter, after to ensure that we're meeting these benchmarks, we've also set a goal uh, for students um, on average to be meeting the uh, 80th percentile or scoring at the 80th percentile on our MAP assessment, um, which is a nationally norm criterion uh, based out of, you know, NWEA. Um, and so with this MAP assessment, we're going to make sure that on a 
you know, uh, trimester cycle that from a diagnostic to the mid exam to the end of year exam that we are making intentional decisions, pivoting and adjusting as necessary to make sure that our students are on par to meet that end of year uh, 17 ACT goal by the eighth grade. Um, so for character development, that is another thing that we are infusing as part of our school day. Uh, so it begins with morning motivation where students, uh, you know, begin for a 20 minute block, which is not yet jumping into English instruction, not yet jumping into mathematics instruction. But again, it's that relationship building where we're grounding conversation and um, infusing opportunities for speaking, reading, writing, and listening grounded in what it means to be um, a strong leader in your community, a strong leader at our school, um, and uh, ensuring that we have constant conversations about um, growing our, our, our character to be the best person possible for for ourselves and our families. Um, and it, it culminates every single week with a uh, weekly character development program uh, in addition to a weekly community meeting where we're celebrating scholars for their success and um, uh, those who are demonstrating core values. Yeah, you mentioned a little bit earlier that backwards planning, which we were discussing earlier, and I'm seeing that both in the rigor piece and in the character piece. And the character piece is, is a little bit more difficult in terms of collecting data for it. But clearly, you're very deliberate and very intentional about not only uh, looking at both of those in a vacuum, but looking at how those both interact on a daily basis. That's that's really nice to hear. And I think a lot of that, um, I know a lot of that comes uh, from leadership. And that brings me to something that that you have said before when we when we talked, which is um, that, a, that a strong Yale, Yale program begins with a strong leader. Um, could you elaborate on this and tell us a little bit about how you see it playing at Excellencia, not only with like the school leaders, um, but with everybody, uh, how does everybody kind of become a leader and, and again, sort of live that mission? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it, I think it begins first with uh, the mission vision that is set for the school, but most importantly, um, the execution of the mission and vision. So, you know, i.e. The, the, the design and model of the school. So um, when I started out planning for Excelencia, you know, which which at first started with a blank poster post-it board uh, with our mission written out in marker um, to then carefully curating the calendar and the teaching structure that is going to complement um, the the mission to ensure that all of our students are meeting those core components of our program. Um, and so what we then set out uh, doing is taking a step back and, and you know, one thing that's beautiful about charter schools is the autonomy that comes with um, all of the decision making uh, in operating a charter school. Uh, so one thing that we did is we, we, we fully exercise our ability to be innovative by then um, looking at how differently can we structure our teaching positions that will allow us to maximize small group instruction and that will allow teachers to focus on what they're best at um, through specialization across the core blocks, which are um, mathematics, science, and social studies, but then also guided reading, phonetic development, uh, read aloud, and, and vocabulary development. Um, and so the reason why I share that is because that needs to come from the leaders first before anybody can buy into it. I spent uh, you know, countless nights um, exploring our program in detail, um, you know, turning over every single rock making sure that there's nothing that we missed before we started planning in a greater detailed process. Um, and <clears throat> what we did after that is then brought 
PD professional development and the development of our staff to the forefront of our of, of our mission and operation. Um, and so if that doesn't come from the leader, then who else is it going to come from? Um, and so what we always do is lead back to the why. Why are we doing this? Uh, why are we making these decisions? Uh, and that also includes conversations with students, right? We want to make sure that we're always explaining rationale behind every decision so that way the greater community um, is always involved. And that's something that I've set out to do as a leader, sharing rationale with teachers, sharing rationale with students, sharing rationale with parents, sharing rationale with greater stakeholders such as our board because um, that rationale needs to be shared in order for people to buy in and that should always come from the leader of the school great so it trickles down for sure but it's infused in everything and uh, you know you, you talk about really pouring over that mission and really understanding it turning over all the rocks and understanding what it means and what it's going to mean for everybody else so as you mentioned the 2018 2019 school year which is coming really soon i i it's unbelievable we're almost um in in full summer mode here um but that school year is going to start with tk k and grade one I'd love it if you could walk us through what a typical grade one class is going to look like. If there is a typical and if that's at all possible, I'd love to kind of get a vision of what uh, what, what a day is going to look like for a first grader. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and it's, it's crazy to think that we're only 10 weeks away after uh, nearly two years of planning. Um, so the typical day for a, a first grader, and this is really complemented also against our TKK program, um, student begins by coming into the school day, uh, coming into our through our school doors, uh, making sure that there is breakfast available for every single student so they can, you know, um, get the nutrition that they need necessary for, for, for an active school day. Um, and it begins at 8 a.m. with morning motivation, where again, it's this 20 minute block that is devoted to relationship building um, and, and, and really fostering a strong homeroom culture to to start students off on the right foot. Um, and then from there, they go immediately into a uh, three rotation system uh, in their literacy course where they attend 30 minutes of phonics instruction with a specific teacher. And then after those 30 minutes, they transition to another group where they're, you know, with nine other students in a roughly, you know, group of 10 um, with a another teacher who's focused on guided reading. And then after that 30 minute block, then they're going to online adaptive instruction, which is individually based uh, using a program called uh, Lexia um, on, on, on Chromebooks assigned to every single student. Um, and then from there, they have a, a 20 minute block of snack and bathroom break to ensure that, you know, there's there's some time for them to uh, to recharge and reset before they jump into the next section of their day, which is read aloud uh, and vocabulary development followed by writing. After the literacy block and components are complete, um, roughly about midday around 11.10, then they're jumping into uh, science and social studies, which alternate on any given day. Um, and then they're jumping into uh, lunch followed by PE. So there's ample breaks for them to you know, incorporate movement, interact with their peers, uh, build relationship with staff outside of the instructional classroom. Um, and then the day uh, begins to wind down with math and numerical computation first, calendar math and numerical computation. Um, but it, we recognize that it's not just about getting students to, you know, have a, a, a strong practice around, you know, their math fast facts. But we also need to compound numerical computation with conceptual understanding and quantitative reasoning. So we have uh, placed a high premium on uh, cognitively guided instruction, which we're going to be implementing daily so we can ensure that we are really tapping into 
to students and their expertise to then lead classroom conversations. Um, and then before we end the day, uh, we go into enrichment and intervention to ensure that we're closing any gaps and students are also having the ability to focus on other pieces of, um, you know, uh, exercise other pieces of their brains through building blocks and robotics. Um, and then every single day, we also commit to a 30 minute block of technology skills where we're using technology and showing students how to use uh, this equipment as tools to learn. Um, and we end at 350 with community closing every single day, giving shout outs to scholars who have uh, exemplified core values. And we have a hard dismissal at 4 p.m. Thanks for that. I'm really glad I asked that question. I mean, you just you provided us with a lot of information before, but I think, you know, sort of sort of winding this down with understanding what a school day looks like um, is is crucial. So hopefully that's that's helpful um, to our listeners. So I want to I transition a little bit to some kind of uh, professional development questions that I like to ask guests. And, and, and that is um, I'm curious if there's a book or a resource that has had an important influence on you personally or professionally that you'd recommend. If it has, um, uh, you know, connections to English language learning for our audience, great. If not, that's fine, too. Oh, man, which <laughs> I mean, there's so many. Um but, uh, you know, one thing that I would like to, to share with you, Stephen, uh, I don't know if I if I if I if I share this in detail. I mean, there's a lot of books that I can share on a professional level that have certainly influenced our decision making, such as Making Thinking Visible, Great Habits, Great Readers, uh, Get Better Faster, um, all of which, uh, you know, Practice Perfect, all of which are phenomenal books that I recommend uh, every single educator go and pick out um, today, especially if you're going to be coaching uh, first year teachers. Um, but one book that has always had a very strong personal influence um, is a, a book written by Westmore called The Other Westmore. Um, and the reason why I share this, Stephen, is because I go back to the the uh, life experiences that I have had, which have um, led me to build a school and, and more importantly, commit to a lifetime career in education. Uh, so The Other Westmore is uh, a narrative where uh, Westmore, who was a Rhodes Scholar um, and, and, you know, Rhodes Scholarship recipient, uh, the, the, the day he found out that he was uh, a Rhodes Scholar, I believe it was published in the newspaper. In that same paper, there was a similar article with another individual named Westmore who was going to be incarcerated for, you know, X years. Um, and so here he is, Westmore, reading about another Westmore uh, that was born in the in, in, in the same year, raised in the same neighborhood, but lived completely different lives. And the reason why I share that is because that is the definition of the relationship between my brother and I. He came six years, uh, he, he's, he came six years before me. We are almost identically the same person, uh, same level of intelligence. I would argue that he's actually smarter than me. Um, but because of limited opportunities and exposure that he had, he ended up going a different route than I had. But what's what's crazy about that is just like the other Westmore, that life could have easily been my own. Um, and so it's a book that I constantly revisit on a personal level because it's, it's, it's a book that I have um, read through um, – a mentoring program called Real Men Read with with other you know middle school men where we're diving into books like The Other Westmore, uh, Fistic Knife Gun by Jeff Canada, in addition to Manchild in the Promised Land, um, autobiography of Malcolm X, because it's important to have these conversations and what it means to be um, you know a, a male of color in in uh, today's society, but also more importantly understanding the power of of literacy that it can have uh, on your future. Well, so I've come full circle uh, since the beginning of our conversation, which I think is great, you know, connecting it back to how this all started for you. 
uh, your personal experience and how it's reflected in your professional experience, and maybe most important for our listeners here, particularly those that haven't had those life experiences that you have, um, I'll include myself in that category, uh, to understand and to really um, be able to, 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 to harness that empathy that's so necessary when we're working with, with these kinds of students, um, and, and we you know, obviously want, to, want the best for them. So I have one, one more question for you, and it's an important one because I think what you're doing is, is great, and I'm sure there'll be many people who will want to know more about the school. So a uh, simple question, how do people find out more about Excellencia, about the work that you've done? Um, where would they start for that? Yeah, you can you can visit us online at excellenciacharteracademy.org. Um, and through our website, you can contact me directly. My email is there. My personal cell is there. Um, in addition to a, a contact us page that will go directly to uh, any one of our representatives at the school. Um, there's uh, there's a few ways in which you can get involved if you'd like to uh, donate. That that's um, something that you can do uh, through our through our online uh, donation page. Um, or if you'd like to volunteer or learn more, just feel free to reach out to us. Uh, via the website, and uh, I'll follow up as soon as I can. Great. And we'll be sure to post uh, all of that information and all of those books that you recommended as well um, on the condensed written version that goes with the uh, with the episode um, notes. So, uh, Ruben, your your excitement, your passion, your your empathy is is contagious. I think people can hear it in your voice. I think that there's um, nobody better to be doing this work after having the pleasure of being able to, to, to speak with you about this. Thank you so much for sharing not only your professional journey and your plans and your experience, but also your personal journey, which I think is just as important. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, and I, I greatly appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.